You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The All-22 Coaches film from the Chicago Bears' loss to the Green Bay Packers makes it very clear just how much coaching is holding this team back on both sides of the ball. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Locked On Bears is brought to you by Pepsi. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. On the show today, we are going back through the All-22 Coaches film from the Chicago Bears' loss to the Packers, taking a closer look at what this offense was able to accomplish and what it wasn't. Taking a look at the running game, starting to get going just a little bit. Then we'll turn our attention to this Bears defense and what went so wrong against Aaron Rodgers and company in a game where Chuck Pagano was very clearly outcoached by Matt LaFleur. Before we get into the specifics of this Bears-Packers game and coaching, I wanted to touch a little bit bigger picture on Matt Nagy as a head coach because there's a lot to that head coaching role beyond just coordinating an offense and calling plays when it comes to Matt Nagy's spot in particular, but also being that true face of the team and developing an organization in a way that a head coach has to, that goes beyond just the exact on-the-field X's and O's schematics of winning football and having a successful team. Because on a recent episode of the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks from NFL Media, they had an interesting discussion about what kind of qualities you look for in a head coach, particularly from the, this perspective of teams looking to hire a new head coach this offseason, which could be the Chicago Bears. But I thought it was an interesting exercise to sort of put Matt Nagy through. The two of them just kind of talked generally about what type of traits and different characteristics of a successful head coach they look for. They talked a lot about, you know, the common traits between the Super Bowl winning coaches currently who have a lot of longevity. You know, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, etc. Some of those guys that have had a lot of success and have been a lot around for a long time. And, and Daniel Jeremiah talked a lot about you know, leadership, being a good teacher, and being authentic within that communication, both being both clear and effective, being able to sort of stand in front of your team and get a message across and have that trust and that transparency as a leader, but also being able to be a teacher to properly communicate the concepts and technique and philosophy that you want your team to hold, and particularly being authentic and being true to yourself and feeling like you are who you are. You're not anybody else. You're not trying to be anybody else. And you're not going to compromise 
who you are for anyone else. The team is going to live and die by what you are and what you stand for. And I thought Bucky Brooks added some nice color to that context and, and talking like, you know, it's important to be able to come to a team, lay out a vision for your team's success and, and make it very clear what this team is going to be and how this team is going to get there and, and really then be able to execute that vision. And so when you take those characteristics and try and apply it to Matt Nagy. In terms of leadership, it seems like he's got a pretty good grasp on the locker room. He seems to check that box pretty well, and for the most part, seems to communicate well within that locker room. There's a lot of trust and a lot of faith between him and his players, at least so far as we've seen even through some challenging times. In terms of the teacher role, that one's a little bit harder to really measure and get a sense of. It seems like the Bears have had trouble teaching and have trouble getting players to fully execute what they're trying to teach. And that's certainly not all on Matt Nagy, but he talks a lot about, you know, trying to work with guys to understand the why. You know, we understand the how, but let's understand the why. And it's hard to tell whether they've had much progress with that, you know, because it seems like he keeps bringing it up that they're still, you know, in year three of his regime trying to get through and understanding that why part. So that one's a little bit murky and a little bit hard to answer, but it's not really a clear yes at this point. It may not be a clear no either. Then there's the authenticity. And we know Matt Nagy has his big be you mantra and wants everybody to be authentic and be themselves. But I wonder how much he has truly stuck to that for himself. Because Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks talking about like Matt Patricia in Detroit and how for years in in New England, you know, he'd wear a backwards hat and had a pencil in the ear. And, like, fairly early on in Detroit, there was some, you know, media questions and some, like, public pushback on him wearing a backwards hat. And he stopped. He stopped wearing the backwards hat and kind of lost some of himself and his authenticity in that and changed himself and kind of conformed to whatever he thought he needed to do to fit and lost some of that authenticity. And I wonder how well... Matt Nagy has stuck to him truly being himself. As we've seen him scramble and look for any and all possible ways to fix it, it seems like the Bears are trying anything and everything, and we sort of lost that identity. And that circles back to laying out that vision and executing that vision. The Bears have not had an offensive identity or much of a full team identity through his entire regime. And so maybe he was able to lay out a vision early on, but they have not been able to execute that vision. And there hasn't been a lot of like authenticity and individualism to what the Bears have done. It seems like they're trying to fit a lot of square pegs into round holes, maybe trying to do a lot of some Andy Reid type things when Matt Nagy is Matt Nagy and not Andy Reid. And I know he's tried to bring in his coaches for collaboration and a melding of the minds, but it just hasn't come to one concrete vision fully panning out, laying out, and being executed to full. And it feels like Matt Nagy overall isn't hitting enough of those key head coaching qualities that Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah were talking about to be a successful head coach, which is why we talk about him likely being fired at the end of the season. The coach's film from the loss to the Packers certainly backs some of that up as we saw another Bears offensive struggle that includes some frustrations again with that coaching staff. We'll start out with the offense and go in-depth on a couple of plays in particular that really said a lot next. 
on Locked On Bears. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, hitting your fitness goals, and just feeling great about yourself. Our friends at Echelon can help get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart treadmill. So no matter what your favorite fitness activity is, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, always available whenever you need them. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, echelonfit.com slash NFL. Going back through the All-22 Coaches film from Sunday night's game, I was most interested in seeing the progress of this Bears offensive line And progress is definitely the appropriate description because it was a step forward. And I think I came away even more impressed upon rewatch than I did the first time seeing it live. And we're operating from low expectations here. So being impressed maybe isn't saying a ton given how poorly they have played in recent weeks. But I thought this was as serviceable as an offensive line as we've seen from this Bears group in a while. I mean, it was passable offensive line play. And I thought that was true in both pass protection and the running game. They just didn't get a lot of opportunity in the running game. I think it was five running plays called with 53 passes when you're down on the scoreboard. Some of that is certainly understandable. But I thought as a whole it was maybe the best combination we've seen since the start of the season. Uh, I came away pretty impressed with Sam Mustafer from the center spot. Really starting to look like a guy who... Not You don't want to rely on him as your starting center next year, but you can feel pretty comfortable as your number two center with some development still to come from him. Alex Bars, still a bit of a work in progress. You know, maybe not your number one guard, but a guy with a lot of versatility that you keep as a, you know, eighth, ninth, or tenth offensive lineman on your depth chart. I think there's there's reason to still hold on to and develop him Moving forward, Jermaine Effetti at right tackle was better than I thought he would be. Bumping outside, you know, not starting level right tackle, but better, again, better than I thought. Maybe not challenged a ton, but held up, you know, more consistently. You know, didn't look as obviously out of place as he might have been. Still an adjustment for Cody Whitehair moving over to left guard. He had some struggles in there as well. And kind of same old Charles Leno, mostly reliable, but a couple of plays here and there that leave you maybe a little bit frustrated, but that's kind of what he is at this point in his career. But overall, I thought it was a step forward from that group, and we kind of saw it early. It was really the second play of the game was the 57-yard run by David Montgomery, really well blocked across the board. And it was one where the Packers were just strangely out of position. They had one of their inside linebackers, Christian Kirksey, like drifting over to the slot, basically, like outside of the hash mark, kind of cheating that way because Allen Robinson was lined up there. And so they really had nobody at the second level over that left side of the offensive line. They had a linebacker and 
two defensive backs to the right side of the offensive line along with a right edge rusher. So really, that left side of the line had, uh, I think Rashawn Gary was on the edge and then one of their defensive tackles on the interior there, and, and that was about it. So it was like a really obvious hole for David Montgomery to run through. And, you know, Cody Whitehair did fine on his block, and Mustafer was able to go straight to the second level because he didn't have anybody to double team. There are only two down defensive linemen, so he got the other inside linebacker just enough to let David Montgomery run up the middle. You know, Bars and Effetti on the far end there with Cole Komet kind of just all did enough of what they were supposed to do. And Montgomery just kind of has to run straight through a wide open hole that you could have driven a truck through. And, you know, good vision by him in terms of taking the right angles. He knows to at least initially kind of go straight up the hash, leans a little bit to the left to get past one linebacker coming from the right. And then as Kirksey comes over from the slot, Montgomery starts drifting back the opposite direction to create a little bit more of that space and give him room to just go off in the foot race. And it isn't until he's chased down by some of the Packers defensive backs after you know, 50 yards or whatever, that they finally bring him down. But it was like well-schemed and, and well-blocked to just run straight up the hole to daylight and kind of questionable, I think, from the Packers' defense. But it's like you come back to the very next play, and both plays the Bears run this same offensive personnel. It's 13 personnel, three tight ends, one running back, one wide receiver. And when they do it the second time, it's a similar look with two tight ends and Allen Robinson all to the left almost like a three-wide receiver look. But this time, the Packers cover it a little bit more naturally. And it's frustrating because when the Packers do it right and how they're supposed to, you know, when they when they see three tight ends around the field, they're going to go to their base defense here. They, they realize that, okay, this is not something they want to keep messing around with. So they put three defensive linemen, four linebackers in. And so that puts seven guys in the box. The problem for the Bears is that you have two of those tight ends lined up at receiver on the outside with Allen Robinson. So you have just Cole Clement in with the offensive line. That's six blockers, seven defenders in the box, plus two safeties there. So what do you think is going to happen when you have fewer blockers than there are defenders and you hand it off to David Montgomery? Because across the board, all five offensive linemen essentially do their job, plus Cole Clement. I mean, you can, you know, Jermaine Effetti's cut block was... Oh, just kind of all right. And, you know, Alex Barr's got pushed back a little bit. But essentially, everybody blocks who they're supposed to. And David Montgomery runs up into the A-gap. And there's just an unblocked linebacker because there just literally aren't enough blockers in the box. Because your offensive personnel dictated the defense to load up the box. But then you spread out your offense. But the defense stayed loaded up in the box. So, like, you brought the loaded box on yourself with your personnel and your formation, and you ran into it and got the minus one yard run. Like there was nothing the offensive line could have done there. There was nothing David Montgomery could have done there. It was completely on the play calling, the game planning, and maybe if Trubisky could audible out of it or you know make some kind of call adjustment at the line of scrimmage, motion somebody in. It's not like it was a, a run pass option or anything like that. It was just a straight up run, and you had two of your potential blockers split out at receiver, and the Packers... Not interested at all at covering J.P. Holtz as a slot receiver because there's no reason to. So they just stopped a run that was just so poorly schemed and there was never a chance for it to be successful. Like It feels to me like, for the most part, game planning and play calling is what's holding this running game back more than anything, at least right now. Now that the offensive line in a game like this starts to put it together a little bit more, and David Montgomery's been fine all season, for me it comes back down to the coaching and 
them repeatedly failing to put their players in the best position to be successful. I found that same thing to be true with Chuck Pagano and the defensive coaching staff in this game, which was even more disappointing because it was a little bit less expected and maybe even a little bit more egregious. We'll break down how this Bears defense collapsed so drastically and some of the real questionable coaching decisions that made it worse next on Locked On Bears. I'm always weary of the superfoods that say they cure all these ailments and make you feel however many years younger. And you're not going to hear any of those promises from Built Bars. But I will tell you, they taste good and they're good for you. It's kind of the only two things I need in a food. They've got 18 delicious flavors. I've had most of them up to this point, but I'm a big fan of caramel brownie and cookies and cream in particular. To me, they taste like candy bars. But the big difference here is that we're only talking 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar, but they're loaded up with 17 grams of protein. That's why they truly are the best tasting protein bars ever. And on top of it, they're good for you. I mean, what more could you possibly need? No fancy miracles or magic promises, just delicious, healthy snack. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. I found myself getting more frustrated watching the defensive tape than I did watching the offense. And maybe it's just because I'm more used to incompetent offenses and you know the, play, the team just generally struggling on that side of the ball. But man, there was a lot with this defense that I'm just shaking my head and scratching my head and not we're struggling to come up with answers a little bit there too. Like, so, you know, it seemed like a lot of times we talked and heard about well, they were missing a key mix, so that's why they couldn't do this and couldn't do that. And, you know, they did struggle to stop the run quite a bit there, especially early on. But for me, yes, not having a key mix is a huge loss for this defense. But maybe it's a little bit overblown, or, or maybe that shouldn't overshadow or excuse the rest of the issues, which for me, tackling was a big problem in this game you know, being able to consistently wrap up, come downhill, and just be disciplined in that regard. Penalty is also a problem, but there were times when it was like Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith forgot what they were doing. And I think, again, those guys tend to get a little bit more of a pass than they should. Roquan Smith especially, he is not playing at an all-pro level this season, especially in run defense. He's been pretty solid in coverage, but for more of this season than not, he has been a liability against the run. And I, I think that's a hot take at this point, but the tape backs it up, and this game was another example of that, where they kept overrunning gaps. It was an issue early in the season. It seemed like they'd kind of turned a corner and were past that, even as the rest of the team was struggling in the losing streak there. But it, it was back in a big way in this game, where they were just completely overrun to one side, and the running back would cut back, and the linebackers wouldn't be able to get back there because they took themselves out of position. Like, you just... You look at the run fits and which gaps the linebackers need to be responsible for, and they're not doing a good job of being responsible for those gaps and ending up giving up some free yards in there. Because uh, it's not as simple as just saying, well, the defensive line wasn't giving them enough space to work. Because you watch Bilal Nichols, solid, especially in run defense in this game. Very firm against double teams. 
not like he's getting a ton of like quick penetration into the back foot for a tackle for loss, but doing his job and occupying blocks and and holding his gaps. Same thing for Brent Urban. Pretty solid in that regard. All these guys make mistakes. Certainly you can find bad plays, but more often than not, doing his job. Mario Edwards, too, although he didn't get quite as much playing time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit, John Jenkins, a little rough up on that defensive line, and if Hicks had been playing, you would have had fewer of those snaps. And Daniel McCullers at nose tackle, not a great game for him, too. So defensive line, not excused, but not as big of a problem as you might think with the absence of Akeem Hicks. Like it seemed like a lot of the times when they would make a play where they did stop the run, it was not as much the linebackers actually knifing through and making plays. It was Bilal Nichols cutting through. It was Brent Urban coming through. It was the edge rushers, you know, Robert Quinn or Khalil Mack knifing inside and making that play. And there wasn't a lot of, like, big, flashy Roquan Smith or Danny Trevathan plays in run defense. But I think what exacerbated some of this was just some really questionable defensive decisions, I guess, is the broader term for what we saw from Chuck Pagano. Let's start with personnel and some packages. Randomly, I think it was all in this first drive in particular, there was one play where Deion Bush subs in for Tashawn Gibson, and I don't know why. It was like one play he came in, and I don't know if his shoes were untied or if he got a quick banged up that we didn't really hear about or notice, but it was just one play where 26 was in there and Tashawn Gibson was not, and it was like, okay, sure, I guess. But then later, in that first drive, I noticed number 20 on the field, and I was like, why is... Duke Shelley in the game. I was like, are they in like a dime package? No, they took out Buster Screen and put Duke Shelley in. And I looked, Duke Shelley had three snaps in the game. And I'm pretty sure all three were on that first drive against the Packers. And every time he was just replacing Buster Screen as the slot cornerback. And I don't know if they were just trying to get Shelley some playing time. Uh, two of them were consecutive, but I, I, I don't remember exactly where the third one was. And I'm not 100% sure it was on the first drive, but at least two were on that first drive, and I, I, I don't know if something happened to, to screen or if there was some reason for it, but just weird seeing him on the field instead. I don't know that it was the reason why they gave up yards and touchdowns. It was just kind of weird. At least down the stretch on that drive, like once the Packers started getting into the red zone or you know certainly into the Bears' territory, we saw Pagano switch to more of a 3-3-5 nickel defense with three defensive linemen and three linebackers as opposed to their usual 2-4 with two defensive linemen and four linebackers. So in the 3-3-5, usually taking Danny Trevathan off of the field, that helped them a little bit in the running game in terms of getting more beef up on the line of scrimmage against the Packers' more spread formation personnel. But I still, across those first drives in the first half in particular, I still get frustrated with Chuck Pagano always going to man coverage on third down. And it's not... 100% of the time, always, but it's more often than not, it's man coverage across the board. Aaron Rodgers knows it, Matt LaFleur knows it, and so they just go to these underneath crossing routes, and we've seen this week in and week out, that it's man coverage on third down over and over and over again. We heard Rodgers call out drive, drive, drive on a couple of third downs. It's a crossing route with an in route over top. for It's a high-low concept. If you got man coverage, you're throwing that drag route every time, and it was easy money for... Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's it's Aaron Rodgers of all quarterbacks. But then, like, he kept going to that 3-3-5, and when you've got those five guys up on the line of scrimmage, it was pretty obvious that when the Bears were going to be rushing five, and you always knew which five were going to be rushing, and you knew where they were going to be rushing from. There, there's just, there's no disguise 
in your pass rush the majority of the time. And that's, again, not the sole reason why this Bears defense struggled, but it's one of those frustrations. It's like there's they're not doing much to help that pass rush when they're struggling to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers in this game. And then, of course, you have the insistence on the three-man rush multiple times on those opening few drives that all ended in touchdowns for the Packers. Like, there's one where the Packers come out empty set in the backfield. You know, empty set, no one in the backfield. Receivers are all lined up wide. And the Bears have Brent Urban, John Jenkins, and Bilal Nichols in the defensive line. And Mack and Quinn are both kind of extended out into the slots. And it's a three-man rush with Brent Urban, John Jenkins, and Bilal Nichols. And both of your high-paid outside linebackers are in coverage you're not going to get a pass rush with those three backup defensive linemen on the field. And you're not going to be very successful in coverage with both Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn dropping back. Like, there was no disguise to it. It was an obvious alignment, and there's no reason to have a three-man rush with those three players. It's like those kind of things are just so frustrating with Chuck Pagano. Or like, you know, other weird coaching things, you know, like... Packers had one play where Kyle Fuller, you know, you know Kyle Fuller is always going to line up off the ball, but there's one where uh, Devontae Adams is the only receiver to one side and Fuller's like 10 yards off and Rodgers just throws the quick flare to Devontae Adams. Snap, throw, catches at the line of scrimmage. Devontae Adams gets 15 yards because it's, it's just free yards that the Bears give up with their alignment. And I know you want Kyle Fuller in off coverage. Totally agree, 100%. But how about maybe not 10 yards? In some of those situations, maybe, you know, maybe five could be a little bit more. And I, I, I mean, I get you're not going to press him every play, but you can't just let Rodgers have 15 free yards in those kind of situations. Or there's a fourth and two, I think, is the first quarter. Packers call the timeout after third down being stopped short. And when they come back out after, on fourth down, they've got Aaron Jones as the left wide receiver, and it, it's actually Devontae Adams in the backfield. And the Bears defense does not notice right away. And it's like they're about to snap the ball, and then Roquan Smith comes running over to Aaron Jones and is telling Jalen Johnson to get over, and the Packers snap it while the Bears' defense is still trying to figure out where everyone is lined up. So Jalen Johnson is a little bit out of position trying to work across the field to get to Devontae Adams out of the backfield. There's some confusion. Packers go back to those same crossing routes. The Bears are switching off man coverage, and, and of course it's a 14-yard pickup on fourth and two. So it's like those things the Bears just can't get those snaps they just can't get things right like it's not just like oh well they went one-on-one and their guy beat our guy you know it, it was it was a jump ball and Devonte adams beat jalen johnson and what can you do yeah right it's not just packers are more talented and playing better than the bears it's like deliberate things that are fixable things that happen pre-snap that put the bears at a disadvantage because of coaching and preparation like uh, one, one other one like the Packers came out with a tight stack to the right in shotgun where a tight end and two right receivers right up by the offensive lineman a, a little bunch formation there and a, a running back with Aaron Rodgers in the backfield and none of the Bears defenders are lined up outside of the receivers you've got Khalil Mack kind of in the C gap by the tight end you've got Buster Screen the slot cornerback kind of stacked over one wide receiver and Kyle Fuller about 10 yards back also basically stacked vertically with Buster Screen so you have two receivers with outside leverage. So the Packers, what do they do? They run to the right, and no one can get outside and contain because all of your players before the snap are lined up inside. So it's essentially like free five free yards for, I think it was Aaron Jones on the run, because 
all their blockers had position automatically from pre-snap because the Bears could just look and say, okay, this alignment, we should probably have at least one person outside to set an edge to try and redirect some of that run inside. But instead, it requires your linebackers to have to flow over top of like six blocks to get over there to make that tackle after a five-yard gain where no one really had to do anything because pre-snap, the Packers had already won because pre-snap, the Bears had already lost. It's those kind of things that you cannot have from Chuck Pagano. And it's those kind of things you can't have after the freaking bye week. Like, that's the thing. The Bears had two weeks to prepare for this game, two weeks to get their crap together, and they completely were outcoached on both sides of the ball, but especially that defense. I mean, unprepared, poor tackling, guys just out of position consistently pre-snap from things that are very easily coached and set by coaching. It's not just guys going AWOL. It's not just guys losing individually. It's guys being put at a disadvantage and not in the best position to be successful. That's why this Bears coaching staff is likely going to be fired after the season. You add on top of it that it's the bye week, and the frustration is just over the top. Like, you can see... If I'm frustrated watching this tape, can you imagine what Virginia McCaskey, George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, even Ryan Pace, I mean, you could hear the frustration in Matt Nagy's voice. I think he kind of goes back through this tape and watches it too, and is like, what the hell? Like, what are we doing after the bye week? You know, a sense of urgency, all those things we heard him say on yesterday's podcast really rang true when you went back and watched that All-22 film. I hope you appreciate that I willingly went back and combed through that game we rewatching what was a fairly embarrassing Chicago Bears performance. I mean, it was bad, but I enjoy watching football. I enjoy going back through the tape, and it was very good Green Bay Packers film. The type of offensive game plan and execution the Bears should be striving for, but that's probably a conversation for another day. But if you learned a little bit of something, or at least enjoyed today's podcast, I hope that you subscribe to Locked on Bears to keep up with all of our daily in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Tomorrow we'll be joined by Matt Deary from Locked On Lions for Crossover Thursday. We'll get the scoop on what might be different from Detroit without Matt Patricia for this game. First game under their interim head coach, Daryl Bevel. We'll see uh, if Detroit's going to have any tricks up their sleeve and if the Bears should once again be on upset alert as the try and end their losing streak. So make sure you come back for that one. And then on Friday, we will put together a game plan for how the Bears can finally end this losing streak, fix some of their mistakes, and at least get a W against Detroit and sweep that season series as they should. I appreciate you hanging with us here on the podcast through a difficult stretch and potentially end here of this Bears season. But I can tell if you're still following along with us, you are the true diehard of diehards. And you know how important it is to bear down.